Welcome to the Lone Mama Book Club. My name is Mara, and I'm a new mom to the coolest little dude, Rowan. Motherhood can be so many things at once. Beautiful, heartbreaking, joyful, frustrating, unifying, and isolating. I created this club to build a community amongst book-loving moms and pave a way for us to discuss some of our favorite or not-so-favorite reads. Our books focus on coming of age, womanhood, and motherhood. My hope is that this community will help make even just one fellow mama not feel so alone. Although our journeys may look different, we are all in this together. So take some you time, grab a book, and let's dive in. Welcome to episode five of the Lone Mama Book Club. In this episode, I'll be having a very special guest on, my brother, Jaren. Jaren is one of the most knowledgeable, kind, and funny individuals. He's truly one of my best friends, and I'm so excited to have him on, not only to chat about the book, Great Circle, but to actually get this time to talk with him about a book that we mutually love. Jaren is the father of Marvelous Magnolia, who just turned one this past November. And to top it all, Jaren is an English teacher at a high school in New York City. So he's definitely going to be putting me through the ringer in this episode. Without further ado, hi, Jaren, and welcome. Hey, how are you? Thank you for all of those wonderful things. (laughs) You know it. You know it. Some of them true and some of them lies. (laughs) Will we ever know which ones? No. (laughs) Siblings keep secrets. No. I'm excited to have you here. Welcome to my closet where I record. And excellent. Jaren's in his New York City apartment. So definitely a little shakier than my closet. But you are going to talk about Great Circle by the lovely Maggie Shipstead. And I recently just finished it. I had a lot of people ask me as I was reading this book, do you like, do you like this book? Do you like this novel? And my answer constantly was, I don't know. I have to wait till I finish it. (laughs) I just, I had to get to the last page to decide, did I really like this or not? And that's the first time I think ever reading a book that I honestly didn't know how I felt about it until the last page. And as soon as I hit the last page, I said, okay, this was a great book. How did you feel about it when you read it? As a person of literature, I don't know what you would call it someone who reads a lot we can say that yeah person the, of literature i like that I, I i i like that i have a prevailing theory that any american novel worth reading the first 50 100 maybe even the first third of the book is going to be a little bit of a slog to mm-hmm. get through and then after that it's it's built into something it's it's the author building the world of the book and then you're sort of being enveloped within it. And then the plot really kicks into gear, the characterization, really the symbolism, all of these different things kick into gear. And then you are completely blown away by the novel. This, this, this is any name, any great piece of literature that anyone can cite. That's, you know, not even American, but also English. Like you talk about 1984 where the first hundred pages of that is a slog to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, let's be honest. Uh, Moby Dick, the 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 ultimate um, touchstone for the American, you know, novel, the great American novel. 
the first third of that book is absolutely ridiculously slow. And yet it's just chock full of different things and different ideas. Not to say that the first third of this novel is not worth reading it. It's oh, necessary. No. And it's full it, I was going to say it is necessary and it's worth it. But I, I have to say it didn't really catch my attention until at least after page 100, to be honest. Actually, that's not true. I guess the prologue, right, where it was a little excerpt from... Marion, the main character's logbook, right? Like that's the very first page and you read that and that catches your your eye and your attention. You say, well, I've got to, I've got to figure out how we get here and what happens from there. So that caught my attention, but the first 100 pages that followed, it was, I think you said slog. I agree, but it was also extremely heavy. Like, let's think about all of the I don't want to just say drama, but the traumatic events that happen in just those first 100 pages that were a little uncomfortable and sometimes for me unnecessary. Yeah. To go along with what to to answer that, I want to I want to answer mm-hmm. to that. But really what it is is that there's a lot of names being thrown at you. There's mm-hmm. a lot of different characters, there's a lot of different people, there's a lot of things. It's like who am I supposed to be paying attention to now? There's a lot being thrown at you. That's a, that's inaccurate. Uh perhaps criticism we can we can lay toward the book and we can get into that a little bit later, but this is this this book is very much a book about trauma. And so that all goes in line with it. I mean, this, this the made one of the major themes, if not the major theme of this book, is massage, and yeah. that that plays across the entirety of the text, including the the passages with the the, the movie star uh, Haley, Haley Hadley Hadley Hadley. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. She is forgettable. Um, yes and no. Another part we'll get into. I I think we'll get into a little bit later. But the, the I think the concept of the misogyny that's that's the one of the major themes of the entire text. So yeah, there's a lot of trauma there. But I mean, if you've read, it's no different. From, I mean, I'm I'm reading the color purple for the first time, which mm-hmm. I know as a man of as a as a person of literature, you're kind of like, <laughs> what? Who is this? But I've never read the color purple. But as someone who's read all, almost all of Toni Morrison's works and and many other works by uh, people of color and women of color, trauma is a very huge thing because the trauma is something that has existed. These are these are writers that are trying to shed light on things that um, people don't normally talk about. Um, it's ugly. It's upsetting, but it's, but that part's real. That, that read real to me, that scanned real to me. And, uh, and we have to remember it, too, but, you know, this is a, it's a coming of age tale of a woman who's in the, the time period where that was really difficult, especially to be a woman kind of in a man's world and a man's business. Um, but I still found it pretty relatable even to present tense and we all have trauma and i think that's what draws us to books such as these where you know it discusses trauma in detail because we can all relate to it at some point in time we've all experienced it whether it's at the same level or not i think that's that's part of what drew me in too was seeing how this almost untouchable being, right? Because Marion is a force in and of herself. Um, still had all of this happen to her. And how did she how did she take it? How did she prevail? Uh, that that's a draw, I think, at least for me. I mean, the childhood scenes immediately speak toward something of our own childhood, I would think, you know, kids mm-hmm. exploring on their own with Kayla her, her and her brother Jamie and and Caleb. Um, the, these wonderful scenes of these kids kind of exploring 
exploring the woods around their uncle Wallace's house and all those different aspects of it of growing up. And mm-hmm. um, that all read true as well. And also, you know, the, the, the even the trauma of, of Jamie, you know, the, a straight white male, you know, in our current contemporary nomenclature, you know, he was very much drawn as, uh, you know, a, a character not to be reviled, but to be loved and to be, to be cared about deeply i i connected very deeply with jamie i figured you um would. as someone who grew up painting and drawing and and all these different things i, I connected very deeply with the character of jamie i also um, connected with jamie based on that but i i connected with marion does that shock you <laughs> no no of course not of course not um but that, i think that bespeaks of maggie shifted's um writing where there's not a lot of style to the writing. There's not a lot of flair to her writing. Mm-hmm. It's it's plot. She just sets plates spinning and then she'll leave them spinning and she'll come back to them. And then by the end of the novel, you've got 15, 16, 18 plates spinning. Uh, and, she, and, you're, and you're like, wow. Mm-hmm. So the trick of her, the trick of her writing, and this is the, this is the first novel I've read of hers. Me too. Um, the the trick of of what of her writing specifically for this novel was to me um the magic trick of pulling off um you know ambition she's clearly trying to go for a great american novel fun fact uh her original manuscript for this novel was about a thousand pages so she had to, to cut out quite a bit um to make this book possible and it took her over three years to finish writing this book. She definitely poured her heart into soul into this. And I looked at an interview that she did, and this is actually her favorite book that she's written so far. So interesting, but I did have that as one of my questions for you is like, how did you feel about her writing style? Because to me, I felt every paragraph was so full, right? The writing style itself, I, I, I didn't think there was too much flair, but it was still beautifully written, but it almost felt at the same time, cold, distant, I felt that some scenes I was kind of on the outside, almost like a bird, like looking over what was happening. And I found that those parts happened, especially around emotional and catastrophic events that happened in the book. And a part of me wonders, okay, was that intentional or was that an unfortunate side effect of like editing that had to happen, knowing that this wasn't originally like a thousand page book, you know, and, and she does go into so much detail. I mean, she has real facts real historic facts throughout the novel that weaves this together. And we are following several different characters that are going through a lot. So just there's a ton of information to provide to the reader at all times. There were definitely times where I felt, I mean, Jamie, Gra- let's, let's talk. Let me just bring this down to the open. Now, Jamie Graves' death. When Jamie Graves' Death. I, uh, I told you before you started reading it. There's some, something in here that absolutely floored me, and it was when Jamie Graves is killed in the war. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, like you're not expecting, like, but this is like a World War One and a World War Two book. Like you're just mm-hmm. kind of like out of nowhere. We're in World War Two again, like covering basically the entire 20th century and beyond uh, with this novel. But I was floored by Jamie Graves death really something i should have probably something i probably should have seen a uh, devastated devastated I had to put the book down sob i knew uh, i and, yeah i knew it was going to happen like, remember when you called me and we talked about this and i said hey you're gonna be on my podcast we're gonna we're gonna talk about this and we didn't want to get into too much detail and i told you i'm only like 100 pages in and i was like jamie's gonna die 
Like I, I just knew it. I was like, Jane is, Jane is dying. Like it's hundred percent going to happen. And you didn't say anything, right. but I, I just knew, I mean, let's talk about this too. Yes. It's about, it's about trauma. It's, you know, all about the things that we've talked about so far, but it's also about sibling and I, you know, sibling relationships, I guess I should say. And so I just knew that that had to happen, unfortunately. But yes, I felt that scene. Let's go back to that scene. Cause that's pretty, that's the one scene that really stands out as being a little too distant and on the outside for me, for, for something. I mean, my, my dear, dear Jamie, my sensitive soul, Jamie, that, I mean, everybody, I, I would assume loves this character. I don't know why you wouldn't love Jamie. And that's how he meets his end, you know, and it's aggravating and it's devastating. And I mean, the line clearly states that he didn't find peace in his death, but you're also like just kind of so outside of the experience. And it's so quick. It's a paragraph. One paragraph takes Jamie out of the book completely. Well, see, that's the book is that's why I was so floored by it because the book is moving so fast to present mm-hmm. so much information all the at all times that it mm-hmm. just suddenly creeps up on you. Mm-hmm. His death is is there, and it's like, oh my! I was it's like, oh my god, he's he's gone. And I did appreciate. I'm gonna I'm gonna kick back on you here. I, I do appreciate how quick it is, and the novel does say. I remember the lines very distinctly because I remember the experience very distinctly. Mm-hmm. Um, the lines say he 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 died quickly, as if just as if he was an infant back on the Josephine or something mm-hmm. like that. She makes a reference back to that. It's yes, as if yes. he might as well have died on that. And so there's I don't know thirty great circles, both literally and figuratively, within the book. If you mm-hmm. go back and look like, so that's one of the great, that's one of the great circles is Jamie Graves' life and how he dies. Right. And so the, it was, that was actually aptly poetic for Jamie Graves' death was how quick it was. Um, and it needs to be quick because he needs to not understand. He needs to not be able to have time to think because if Addison had not passed on his nobility as a cat sea captain and saved those two infants, Mm-hmm. then um that's the way a baby that's the way a baby would have felt mm-hmm. no words just feeling and so mm-hmm. the, that that's what really affected me about it actually so for me that was affecting that was poetic there there's other moments of it but like I, I and again this is a character i identified with because of his sensitivity because of his art you know and 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 because of his stance on you know not eating animals and all these little characterizations there there's all these type of things that kind of I think we should just talk about Jamie too. So we're talking about the writing style. I think we've kind of iterated here that every paragraph is heavy. It, it took me, I'm a very fast reader. It took me a pretty long time to finish this book because um, on and off, I'd have to put it down. You have to think about everything that you've just read. I feel like there's significance in every page, right? So it's not something that you can just be like half reading, half not. I mean, you really have to pay attention to get the full effect of this book. And we were talking about, you know, kind of how the writing style can be distanced and, and everything like that, which I agree upon. But I think we've just kind of led to, to the front door of, of Jamie and having that in our conversation. So Jamie, he starts off as just a sensitive, loving child who um, is an artist, right? He can draw from the very beginning. He also loves animals. He refuses to eat meat. He has very, very strong morals and he upholds those morals to 
I think, an extreme, right? So you have Marion, on the other hand, who's kind of a wild child, free spirit, willing to do whatever it takes to get what she wants. And that includes kind of sometimes putting aside her morals. Um, and we see how that works out for her as well. But for Jamie, I couldn't help but be aggravated when he has that opportunity to have his life completely changed and he refuses to eat the steak. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, I think in our lives, it's important to uphold our personal beliefs and our morals as individuals. But I think we also have to remind ourselves, what is our end game and what do we want for ourselves? And does that really mean, because at the end, right, this person who didn't want anything, any harm to come to any living being ends up killing three people and, and is in the war and does leave a woman pregnant with a, with a baby and he's not there to see them raised. And so his actions have consequences that are affecting these people that he didn't want any bad things to happen to while he still thinks he's upholding some kind of moral code. Um, and yet he couldn't eat a steak and kind of get out of this world of destitute. What do you, what do you think about that? I think Jamie is a victim of circumstance just as much as Marion is in various ways. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, again, there's another theme for you, major theme of the text for you right there. Mm-hmm. Right. So Jamie's a, Jamie's a victim of circumstance. Men went to war. He has to go to war. Right. Mm-hmm. He has to, he, he falls in love with Sarah Faye. He, he, but his, that, that love is not given back to him. And he um, flails about trying to find himself while standing up for what he believes is right. But he is, but he is a victim as much of a victim of circumstance as Marion is. I have to, I have to interject and argue that it's not that Sarah didn't um, give that back. He gave no opportunity for that to even blossom. Mm. If yeah. if that man, if Jamie, if our if our homie Jamie sat down and ate a steak, he could have gone to that wonderful art school, and he potentially could have married Sarah. Like there would be nothing that would hold that back from happening. Yeah, but then then the rest of the book doesn't happen. Then you're talking now. You're talking about different things, <laughs> you know, happening. You're just frustrated because the morals of this character interfere with what you want to happen with this character, which uh, uh, believe me, I want the, I want the best for all these characters, but Jamie's death has to happen in order for Marion's final epiphany and her final, her final flight really. Right. Without Jamie gone, there is no, there is no rest of the book. Um, And of course, and again, it plays upon that theme of, you know, victim of circumstance where it's like, we have this very sensitive boy mm-hmm. where it, it, here's the thing. It's like, there, again, this, the idea of misogyny and patriarchal, you know, ideals is not, it doesn't just hurt women. Yes. That's a, that's the focus of the book, but it also hurts Jamie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the kid doesn't want to eat a steak, you know what I mean? Like leave the community and that's going to be the deciding factor for this kid's life. But I think if we were called, didn't Mr. Didn't Mr. Failey say, like, what are you a man? Like, aren't you a man? You know, exactly. he wouldn't so, eat the steak. Isn't that a patriarchal thing? So that's patriarchal thinking and the 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 the, the restrictions of that. Um, again, restricting Jamie or forcing Jamie into something else, right? The, that he has to go to the war, right? That men have to go to the war. Marion joins the war effort out of just her pure force of will, which is, again, she is a pure force of will mm-hmm. throughout the book. And so 
uh, poor Jamie doesn't want anything to do with it. And he gets a, he, he gets the chance to use his art as a way to escape it, but he's still, but again, circumstance forces him to kill. Mm -hmm. And so again, it's all just a commentary for me. It was all just a commentary on patriarchal ideals and misogyny and and the the patriarchal world Mm -hmm. uh, that still perpetuates today, which Mm -hmm. plays into the whole uh, Hadley part. And really that's, I mean, again, the if you want to have a major theme for this book, it's about misogyny and, and the patriarchy and how that is, how it's, you know, I mean, if you want to boil it down to something that is, this is over very oversimplified, but the patriarchy is not good for anyone. Right. Right. And so Jamie, Jamie is the, the victim of that in his own way. And so of course, Marion goes through, goes to hell and back mm-hmm. uh, with, on her own journey when it comes to the patriarchy, not necessarily working out for you. I, I'm, I, I'm curious Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of Marion, though, you said you identified with her more. Yes. Why? So Marion, to me, I almost, well, I guess I identified her in a certain way, but I also am slightly jealous of Marion. Marion has new boundaries. She's like a drawing with no lines. She's just kind of where she wants to be. And, and of course, she has to make very difficult choices. And some choices, I think we could argue, wouldn't, wouldn't have been in her best favor. But you know, I've been there. I think being strong-willed and wanting what I want, I think at an early age, I kind of knew what I wanted out of life. And I was very determined to be who I was. And I just see that resiliency and stance in Marion as well. I think a lot of people might think of Marion as self-centered or cold, but I, I find her to be a vision of freedom. Like she's, she represents freedom in a way, right? Like she flies through the sky. What what is more freeing than flight through the sky? Um, And that's just kind of her personality and in my mind. And I feel like I've always kind of been that way where it's uh, sometimes I can be in my own head and I have my own plans and I get very determined. Right. And Mary and I don't think acted rash. Sometimes she did. Right. Like so there's a couple, there's a couple instances, but most of the time everything was pretty there's well thought out. There's definitely some scenes where she, there's definitely scenes where she, yeah, she's, yeah. she is very, very single-minded. There are a lot of scenes where she acts rashly in order to get what she wants, but she also knows that she, the, the thing is, is that she's smart mm-hmm. as well. And mm-hmm. so she knows that Barclay, for instance, is bad news. She mm-hmm. knows that he's bad news. She doesn't want him to fund her flight training he she doesn't want to be involved with this guy and she fights that until again circumstance forces her to yeah. do it because this is what she wants to do this is who she is as mm-hmm. her character yes and again it's again uh maggie ship said's prose while it's not necessarily the most poetic prose you are drawn into the characterization of these characters because of all this information that you have on them mm-hmm. and so they, they become fully realized characters i don't i don't find her marion to be cold or 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 off-putting at all um as a character uh per se uh someone you know and again um any i think i would i would be wary of someone who did say something like that because again uh, what are you you, is a determined woman scary to you you know what i mean like (laughs) is a determined woman off-putting to you Um, i'm gonna say that as a woman in society jaren yes the answer is yes um, we are very off-putting um, in society. So, yeah. um, 
Well, yeah. <laughs> I believe me, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> I know you. You know my wife. Oh, we are <laughs> we are around, best friends as well. <laughs> very strong women all the time. So, so as so as someone who does find Marion to be that kind of you know uh, character, how do you how do you feel about her ultimate end? The fact that mm-hmm. she's, I mean, we you just spoiler talk about the book. Oh well, most people who are listening in should know that we we go into depth with the book, and so a lot right, of right, right, right. know to read the book before before coming on and listening to the episode. Right, right, right. So but yes, we'll talk about the ending. So her ending, yes, go ahead. Yeah, so she ends the book basically living out the rest of her life outside of society mm-hmm. as um, passing, for lack of a better term, as a man. Not and the entire time. Not the entire not time. The enti- not the entire back. time. Not the entire time. Yeah. Not the entire time. Uh, but for a good chunk, um, mm-hmm. passing as a man and only and meeting up with Caleb every now and again. And then... Love, love me know, some Caleb. Love Caleb. Love you. Okay, so... So you're romantic at heart because that again, like this is like that whole little women to me, it read a little bit of, of like little women where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you want to have your cake and eat it too. You want to have your strong female character, mm-hmm. who, but at the end of the day, people want what they want and they want to see what you, what, what do you, what do you want to see? You want to see Marion end up with Caleb. Well, you know so I mean? like, are you ready for my honest opinion? I don't know if it's going to shock you or not. And I don't know if this is going to shock the little listeners, but the entire time that you're reading this story, you feel like, okay, Marion's going to die. And you're just waiting for this last flight to take place. And at the end, you have very short segments that are outlining these little, the little parts of the flight along the way. And you're like, oh my gosh. And I like kept reading and I'm like, oh, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. Like, this is when she's going to take the plunge into the water and this is it. Right. All the while wanting her to survive. When she does, I feel like I was initially a little disappointed. I don't know. I Honestly, it ended the way that I hoped for her. She found her piece. The circle was completed, right? We talked about how many circles that you can track throughout this novel, right? It's not just her flight. That's the circle, which is also completed, but it's her life as well. And I, I mean, I get that. She starts off her life as her own. She ends it as her own. Wonderful. But it almost felt like, okay, it's just packaged too too neatly for me in a way. And although I'm happy and satisfied with it, and I do love the ending paragraph to the story, I think it's very beautiful. Um, I I was also like, huh, <laughs> you gave me exactly, see, what I, exactly what I wanted. And it's like, oh, see, well. I went into it and by you know i saw i was like so this will bring us to the hadley passages because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's probably the, this is probably the most problematic portions of the book right mm-hmm. i think you yes. i think you and i can agree upon this oh absolutely very very broad very broadly written mm-hmm. um almost as if it's from a whole completely different world and i was yet, just gonna say that from like almost a different person wrote those sections right and yet, as I'm reading it, I'm that uh, I'm that's informing me. I don't, and this could be I don't know what this is. Years as a reader, years as a movie watcher. Of, of, I, film is literature. Film is literature to me. So, uh, mm-hmm. so for me, I'm like this. This is going somewhere, and this is going to reveal something that we don't know 
about mm-hmm. Mary. So I, almost within almost almost right away, I was like, she didn't die in this plane crash. Yeah, I from so from the get go, I was I wasn't I was anticipating her to survive it in a certain way. Okay, because as you because as you're reading, you're discovering okay, um, you know, Marion's affair wasn't with. You know, Eddie. it wasn't with Eddie. It was with Ruth, you know, mm-hmm. she had a, she had, you know, she, that Marion was bisexual or perhaps even, um, I think queer. This entire time. I think queer. Uh, or queer if you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea of, which is um, also so great that, re- representation, by the way, like I, I did. Oh, really no, no, no. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of, uh, different representation within the, within the text itself, but the, my, so, but they get that wrong in making the movie, right? That mm-hmm. Hadley's starring in. Uh, there's there's other things that they're getting wrong. Well, of course they do. What did we just talk about? It's the patriarchy, right? It's uh... exactly. And so, you know, I'm like, okay, so they're getting all these different things wrong. Then mm-hmm. the way she dies must be wrong too. So I, I was <laughs> anticipating that going into it. Yes. Um, what I didn't anticipate, I, like I, Eddie's end, was very affecting to me. Uh, the way uh, speaking of represent speaking of diverse representation, homosexuality mm-hmm. during that time period, um, mm-hmm. he's like literally just leave me to freeze to death in a you know underground city. You know, essentially, know. like is just rather than go back <laughs> out, yeah, rather than go back out there. Mm-hmm. Um, just oh my god, that was so haunting. That was it was really intense. Yeah, right. And, uh-huh. the, and even the and even the line where. She, um, Marion sees him wave one last time and she didn't she doesn't know if he's waving as in goodbye or waving as if to come back and get him I think was that is the line yeah. yeah she's like I couldn't I couldn't determine whether it was like a hello or whether it was a um a please come back and save me kind of wave totally chilling <laughs> in more ways than one um <laughs> pun intended well pun I intended. actually I think there's an empowering factor to that too for for me where choosing choosing how you die in in a sense is i think important and having dignity in death like this is coming from the nurse in me that can't help but be like oh you know let's talk about that a little bit more cuz that's also a controversial topic in today's society is how much say should we have over our death as as an individual and what's ethically appropriate um for end of life treatment um you know, Eddie really thought like, this is it. He's, he thought his, either way, whether they made it or not, he was dead. That's right. what he was saying. Um, and he wanted to go out the way that he wanted to go out. Honestly, what more peaceful way of falling asleep into death in the snow under the auroras in the sky? Could there be, you know what I mean? Like, that's okay. <laughs> that's the way to go. You know, that's kind of an empowerment and taking charge over his life again, where I think he felt so um, out of control and, and dead. And I mean, that's what he's telling us. So very chilling. Yes. That was crazy. <laughs> I did not anticipate that. <laughs> yeah. And so there was that, that was very disturbing in a way. And of, of course it kind of reminded me of the, uh, um, Sal's fate on Mad Men, mm. uh, in the middle of season three, where he's just left and that's it for him. You never hear from him again for the rest of the, for the entire series. You think Sal might make his way back in, in Mad Men, you're the, you know, the, 
but he he never does. Mm-mm. And so it's it's sort of a similar fate where it's kind of like well, you know, in these period pieces, you have a lot of the homosexual experience where they're being left behind, right? They're being ousted uh, from society's viewpoint, right? You can't even see them anymore and it becomes this kind of thing we'll get to you later right it's almost as if the writers are, are kind of saying like your time will come your time is the, the time is now or in 2021 the time has come and it is it's been here and and uh but for but back then that that wasn't the case and so of course eddie's story is just chilling and then you have marion's story which i i knew i that like yeah, I just, I just knew that she wasn't going to die in that crash. What, but that brings us interesting. So these are two siblings talking about a book, and you were shocked about Jamie, and I was like, Jamie's death was coming all along. I knew he was going to join the war and die, and then you're like, oh, I knew Marion was like totally going to survive, which is interesting, in a way that you related more to Jamie and didn't really anticipate that. And then I related more to Marion and didn't anticipate her ending of the story. But anyway, I don't know if there's significance there or not, but I just wanted to point out the irony. It's probably just because we couldn't see the forest through the trees. Probably. With our, with, in terms of the characterization, let's talk about the Hadley sections. So, I mean, I totally get, and, and we've mentioned this, right? Like she was there as, someone to progress the story along and to create the threads and connections that we needed in Marion's story to pull it all together. Right. So I I understand that section of it. However, did I enjoy her character? Absolutely not. Did I enjoy those sections? No. Uh, I almost felt like obligated to like read them because I didn't want to miss anything. I didn't want to miss out on the story, but I, I, I didn't enjoy her sections. I thought she was extremely, just not a likable character in my mind. Yeah. So, so for me, it's another great circle, right? You have Marion and then Hadley, who in her own way is facing patriarchal and misogynistic ideas of society. And she's kind of bumping up against this and she just doesn't get, in her mind, she doesn't, she doesn't care um, Mm -hmm. about anything. So for me, Hadley, Hadley, Hadley's <laughs> hard to remember. Hadley's not an inessential, like you said, she's not inessential. But again, it seems like it's from a completely different place. And again, that's where I get the sense of Maggie Shipstead saying that she's going for it. You know, like she's really wants to write this ambitious novel. And you said that she her initial draft was a thousand pages um i wonder who told who who told her to cut all of this uh because um i feel like if those passages were more fleshed out then maybe i we could uh, appreciate that maybe this book would not just be very very good to Mm -hmm. almost almost great like i i give this is a great this is a great book it's a really wonderful read to see an author essentially just really go for it. It's quite, this book is an accomplishment. It's very much an accomplishment. You can feel the achievement, you can feel the weight of it. Mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, I think Hadley actually takes away from the book's ultimate greatness. I even like the culmination of her story and how she's the one who knows about 
Marion and, and she figures it out and, you know, mm-hmm. she has this epiphany for herself and, and, uh, you know, for her femininity and all these different things, you know, I even liked that resolution. Mm-hmm. It takes a long time to get there. It takes a long time mm-hmm. to get there and it's a, a little bit of an arduous process, but then you don't find out, you know, and again, you don't find out that Jimmy has actually had a child with Sarah. And of course she's, you know, this art dealer. <laughs> this or this great artist, I should say. Yeah, um, yeah. But here that my thing with Hadley too is she wasn't enjoyable. She, I don't think that she made that big of um growth as a character. And to me too, we never really I didn't feel like there was enough of a conclusion. So here I am, I invested all this time to try to get through reading her section. And then it's kind of a loose end. It's kind of like, well, you did your part, Hadley. Hadley, I almost said Hadley. <laughs> whatever her name is. And, you know, thanks so much. Bye. And it was just like, that was it. I don't like loose ends. So I didn't, I didn't appreciate that. And I I thought that was a drop from Maggie, somebody who wrote such a brilliant novel that I feel like that was a, almost like a mistake. And was that one of the sections that were dropped in her thousand page manuscript? It could have been this all could, all of our complaints could very well come from having editorial obligations. um, Right. For some reason. At, at 600 pages, over 600 pages, this mm-hmm. this is not this is not a light book, but it's almost as if it's, you kind of want more. You do. Let's talk about two, 2021 in, in fiction. It was a big year. Yeah. Uh, probably one of the greatest years in American fiction in a long time. I, I try to keep track. I mean, you had uh, Claire and the Sun, Kazuo mm-hmm. Ishiguro. Uh, who finally he won the Nobel Prize uh, for his the culmination of his works? It's just that's phenomenal. You have some titans of the industry kind of returning. You had him. You had Colston Whitehead coming through with another. He's just tossing off a noir book, and it's amazing. Uh, Harlem Shuffle. Um, he's won. I think he's won the Pulitzer twice and the National Book Award at least once, if I remember. Like, and Anthony Doerr coming back from mm-hmm. uh, uh, all the all uh, the light we cannot see. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year and you also had some great some great like debuts um but my book of the year is the love songs of w.e.b dubois uh, mm-hmm. by honorary uh fanon jeffries which is okay so great circles trying to do this here's how you actually do this covering black history from the inception of like natives upon north american land to today <laughs> Yeah. Which is, mm-hmm. it is not, no small feat. At over 800 pages, it flies by, and yet it goes through everything, and you, it touches upon all these familiar things about Black history. So that's my book of the year. Not even shortlisted for the National Book Award, which I just can't fathom. But what's interesting about the National Book Award is that they usually go for distinctly written novels. Mm-hmm. So last, year, last year's winner was uh, Interior Chinatown. Uh, I believe his name is Charles Yu. That's written as if it was, it's all in, uh, as a script for a TV show. Um, while this great circle is a magnificent achievement mm-hmm. um, in a magnificent year, it's going to get lost. It, it kind of gets lost in the sauce and it kind of gets lost in the shuffle um, of all this. And, I, and really, the, if, if the love songs of W.E.B. Dubois comes out in any other year, um, we'd be talking a lot more about Great Circle, 
as like a great American novel, but because that book comes out and it's like, (laughs) Honoré Jeffers is just like, yeah, no, this is how you actually do this. And you can write it in a poetic way with like your own distinct voice, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's, it, it was just a fascinating year. And so for me, like this was Great Circle was long long listed for the Booker Prize. I, I think if she was shortlisted, actually, she was shortlisted. Prize. shortlisted. So, so it just it kind of just shows you how we, there was just a glut of great books this year. I thought this was I thought it was great. I thought it was a, a wonderful achievement. But at the end of the day, it's like was great. Yeah, I know. I mean, literally, the the word "great" is in the title. I mean, she again. It's just another sign of her really going for it. You know, she's like, I'm doing this. You know, I went to the Iowa, the Iowa, I'm from the Iowa Writers Workshop. I can do this stuff. And so she just goes for it. And she does. It's kind of like, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson, the great uh, American director, just released a new movie, Licorice Pizza. I've been reading a lot of the rankings of his movies. And one of my favorites of his, Magnolia. You, I made you watch this movie. So mm-hmm. a lot, Magnolia has been getting has been getting pushed back because it's like, oh, his, you know, his reach exceeds his grasp, right? It's that's the standard thing. And that's what you that's the standard criticism you could probably apply to this novel as well. Yes. Is that her reach kind of exceeds what she grasps at. Mm-hmm. For me, it's either go all the way with this Hadley thing or get it out completely. Yeah. But then again, you're not you're missing out on certain thematic elements. I don't know who what her editing obligations were but i would have i don't know for me i could i would it's it's like i feel almost like i kind of would would have wanted to see more and again mm-hmm. like you said all of these problems are not even problems but issues mm-hmm. there's not even they're not even really problems they're just issues yeah there's issues um minor in um, the grand scheme of things you know right but these 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 issues that we have could have could be taken care of by again investing us more in hat. What got lost in the edit is a huge question. Oh, you know, now I'm curious. It's almost like, hey Maggie, why didn't you just release what you actually had and and let us judge? Yeah, release the director's cut. Um, yeah. but no, she she probably felt that she needed to whittle it down a little bit and make it more palatable. Again, the Hadley scenes don't cripple the book in any way, shape, or form. It's just it's very broad. Very broad. You know? and, and again, a loose end in my mind. I don't I don't think that her story closed well or there was no great character arc for Hadley. It was she was a tool. She was used as, the, as a tool to get the story across. I just wish it was there was more flair. You're you yeah. you're right on the you're right on the nose with it. She's it 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 comes across as being too much of a storytelling tool and not not so much an organic part of the storytelling. Yeah, I you know, it just that. it just it just ends with the premiere and her walking out of the theater, and it's kind of like, like, oh, that's the end of her stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I would rather have had it end with her realizing Marion's true fate. You know, it was the ending before that, where it was like mm-hmm. she she goes into the ocean, right, and she washes herself clean almost, and that's like, oh, that's that would be a great spot for having story. That would have been a great spot to end it. Yeah. But she adds this extra thing into it and it almost seems like it's perfunctory at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and thereby making it leaves you it leaves you with this feeling that her that whole storyline is perfunctory, even though it isn't. It's true. Even though it's it's completely necessary to everything that this book is trying to do. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So it's almost like she like shot herself in her own foot. Like Maggie just, you know what I mean? It's ah, it aggravates me. But Again, not to take away from the brilliant work that she did do um, in telling the story and then creating all the intricate connections 
and cycles that we see throughout the book. I guess going off of like other things I didn't love terribly about this book, I was talking about like the beginning and like how you dive in. And yes, we've talked about how a lot of great books out there start off with making you feel kind of uncomfortable as it sets that foundation in the stage that it needs to carry on the great story. But I always find it difficult and harsh on the palate when you have topics that I think are in there almost just for like kind of shock value. And it doesn't really add anything to the story. Like, did we really have to go? Isn't it enough for a woman to suffer from severe postpartum depression? And that be the reason that she leaves her kids on the cruise. Did we really have to get into child abuse to, to make that storyline effective? So how do you feel about that? So again, here we are talking about a woman who's writing in a way was distant and cold. And yet a lot of heavy topics came about. And I think in the beginning, it was almost kind of almost too heavy in a way where I was like, okay, this is too, this is too much. Like we don't need all of this. I mean, think about the first 100 pages we're dealing with parental child abuse, sexual obsession, severe PTSD, severe postpartum depression, a disappearing mom and dad twice because Hadley's as well. And then alcoholism and addiction, (laughs) first hundred pages of the book. And how much of that was necessary? Well, I mean, some of it was, right? But um, I think some of it wasn't. And I mean, that's just how do you feel about that? That's just what we call living in 1912. Um, (laughs) That was life 115 years ago. Um, Here's, but that 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 comes down to a matter of taste, and that's that that to me isn't necessarily. You know, you know, that's up to the artist, whether or not the, the reader responds to that or not. Um, it, that's up to you, you know, how you respond mm-hmm. to that. Your response is completely valid, as is mine, as is anybody else's. Oh, of course. The, yeah. the point that you're getting that getting to is for me as a reader, it's an mm-hmm. I always try to remember, like, what's the what's the writer trying to accomplish? I read uh, for, as someone who's read a lot of books, I, I think a, I think I've read a lot of books. Um, you, not to say that you, not to say that you haven't read a lot of books, but I, as someone who's read a lot of books, many, many, many books deal with trauma. I mean, all, yes. all the, your one of, one of your favorite books is all the light we cannot see. Absolutely, yes, one hundred percent. That that has so, some horrific stuff in it. Yes, it does. You know, it's it's World War Two. So it's, it's a World War Two novel. Mm-hmm. But and, there's purpose behind it it's chosen not at random or for shock value it's chosen. And I'm not even talking like, let's think that it does discuss world war two here. Terrible things happen in world war two. That's described in this book, great circle. And that is there to show us the accurate history of it all. Right. There's a purpose. There's a reason it's not in there for, for pure. I don't know what, you know, I guess what I'm asking too is, do you think there was a reason to have some of those topics in there in the very beginning to me? No, I think that postpartum depression is a topic that is powerful enough in itself to get this point across of what's happening. But anyway, that that's me. Well, for so, me, it play for me it plays into that whole again the whole major theme of you know uh, let's call it the pain the pain of the patriarchal structure right mm-hmm. where postpartum depression wasn't taken like she's looked at their their mother is looked at as a crazy person right. Yes. Uh, and the, the nurses are like horrified and all these different things, you know, and it's, it's like, mm-hmm. they just didn't know how to deal with it at the time. Yeah. 
and again, because we're living in, they were living in, a, we are, and they were living in a, a, a worse version of this patriarchal system, which we are still trying to struggle to deal with now. It's, it's meant to be horrifying because it's meant to be, it is shocking. Mm-hmm. This is what, to me, that read, it felt organic. It felt true. It felt true to the narrative. It felt true to the themes that Maggie Shipstead was trying to push forward, which was, you know, here's, here's what I'm going to be talking about. I'm going to be talking about how women specifically, men too, but men, women specifically, I mean, even Addison, you mm-hmm. know, he's ostracized, goes to jail for not going down with his ship for saving his own children mm-hmm. and not going down with his own ship. Yep. So it's like, again, the whole patriarchal structure of that, you know, garbage, mm-hmm. you know, I guess it, I see it, that again. too, um, because I think that the, the mother it's Annabelle, right? Uh-huh. Annabelle had to feel like she was a bad person because that's what she was told her whole life that she was wicked, right? Isn't that the word wicked? Yes. Wicked, wicked, wicked um, is what she keeps hearing her mother say to her from her childhood. And I think a lot of those things had to happen now that you point that out and, and chat about it, because when she gets to the postpartum depression, all she thinks is that she's wicked. Not that, right. oh my God, something's wrong here, right? Oh, I'm just not meant to be a mother. I'm not meant. And what's really ironic is that Marion at the end thinks of herself as in a way Annabelle had thought about herself where I'm uh, toxic to those around me, right? I think that Annabelle didn't quite get to that level, but I think she felt I have to go now. I'm pretty sure she just walked into the ocean. Like if you wanted to, if I had to hypothesize what happened to Annabelle, she just, she just walked into the ocean and left as the ship was going down and got carried away. So Marion decides like, I, I'm toxic to everybody around me. I bring death and destruction where I go. I'm not going to be her anymore. And she dies in a sense, you know, Marion, as we know her is dead. Um, when she reaches that Island after jumping out of the plane. And she starts with a completely different life for herself with the exception of Caleb intertwined there every, every once in a while. I find it just interesting that her mother probably had felt the same way in a sense, the, the same as, as Marion, but they chose very different, different paths, but Marion leaves her niece hanging, right? Like she never goes to see what happens with her niece, Adelaide or anything, you know? Well, that's the, again, the other thing is, uh, uh, again, plays into that same theme of, I, you know, constrictions mm-hmm. of society. Like if I, I'm toxic and this is again, the, the tragedy of Marion's story, mm-hmm. even though it's a triumph in a way, mm-hmm. right. The tragedy of her story is that she feels that she has to conscript herself to a life of almost monkish solitude mm-hmm. um, where it's like this, uh, I can't, I am, I don't fit. That was the um, main kicker was Marion's like, I don't fit. She's like, I, I don't fit anywhere. I, I, and I'm, I'm toxic. That's, that's what society has sort of brought upon her, but she doesn't know any better. We as readers know better, of course. Mm-hmm. And that's the tragedy, the dramatic irony of it all comes back, comes to us through that. And so we feel for her in that sense. That's why at the end you feel for her and you're kind of emotionally invested because she doesn't know any better. Yeah. The, you know, she, you, her mother didn't, doesn't know any better. We mm-hmm. know better because we're living in 2021. Mm-hmm. We're living in a, in a 2022 post, now. <laughs> yeah. 2022 now, but um, we're living in a post times up world. We're, we're, you know what I mean? Like we're living through, you know, these, these upheavals 
mm-hmm. um, because of the, the the geopolitical landscape is now just a mess mm-hmm. underneath us. But it's exposed a lot of what's been completely wrong underneath the surface for decades, if not hundreds of years. Yes. And so, and everybody listening knows that this these aren't these are not grand statements that I make, and these are true. Come on, but. <laughs> These ideas of society and, you know, this bumping up against the structures of society and all of that is in play. I don't find it to be, yes, it is shocking. I don't, I think Maggie Shifstead is being as respectful as possible when it comes to any and all trauma within this text and in terms of how I read it, in terms of how I read it. Now you're saying that there is something a little, little bit different going on there. You said that there was some shock value and it was just for shock. To me, it all plays into the same the same themes, you know, which is kind of like, you know, oh, women, women should do this. Why isn't she doing this? Why isn't she feeding the children? Like, why isn't you know? It's it's oh, and it's the, like the postpartum you know. is fine. I get that. It was more of the childhood of Annabelle that I thought was could be borderline too much. I mean, because I mean, we have Marion's story and all of her trauma around her sexual assaults and abuse that she witnesses through the story. So that's already kind of like that point that she's making against the patriarchy with those moments in, in the book are already done through Marion as a mom. And as a woman, I just find, I find uh, the child, the child abuse part to be why, you know, but again, as we've talked about it more, we've kind of unveiled, well, Annabelle had to think that she was, it was her fault. I think that's the whole point, and that's part of the patriarchy. Is it's your you're at you're to blame, right? It's your also, fault that this is like happening I, to you. Like I said, this is that. I mean, not just not for nothing. That's what stuff like that was going on. You know, these aren't just plot lines. These are people just showing, representing that this stuff is going on all of the time. It speaks to the greatness of this book. This is the stuff that we talk about when we talk about this book, because it deals directly with all of these different things. Mm-hmm. If like, again, this feels like this is, I'm like, you're just like reading this. You're like, yeah, yeah, that stuff was happening. Kids are being horrifically abused all the time, all mm-hmm. the time. Uh, it's still, I mean, that still goes on today. It does. Unfortunate, unfortunately. Maybe if Shipstead's prose was a little bit more poetic, it might have gone down easier, maybe. I think so. I think so. Because remember, too, like this is also coming up in the first hundred pages, which I think were just in general hard to get connected in and, and get get lost in, I guess, is kind of, you know, that's what happens in a book, right? It's supposed to. You're supposed to be immersed in this world and in these characters. And it took a while for me for this book. Again. All of these things, though, are discussed and presented in the story, which is what makes it such a, a wonderful read. Um, so I don't want to take away from that, but it, it did take a bit to kind of get into it. So maybe if that, if if there was more of that artistry on words, then it would have just been easier to a get into faster and b swallow some of those things a little easier. For me, and I think I talked about this in, I don't even know what episode it was, but like bonus episode about the vampire. If I have to say that book title one more time, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. But mm. he used a lot of uh, sexual and physical assault against women as, as just shock value for the horror part of his writing. And I just, I can never get behind that. Again, if there's if there's a reason or if you're trying to show historical accuracy or there's a, you know, there's a a reason behind it for your character, like for Marion with the, with the gangster and all those things that happen, 
you know, it's a horrible traumatic event. Um, but I think those things had to happen, right? She had to leave Barclay for a reason. And that was the reason, right? It was, um, he was raping her, let's be honest. And then it resulted in a baby. And so she, that was what motivated her to finally get out of that toxic environment for herself and, and find a life um, that she wanted at the end. And, you know, I think that's it too. She did find the life that she wanted. Yes. She felt like she had to go into seclusion um, and she was pretending to be a man for a while. But if you recall, she kind of shreds that she gets some of the money that she gets from the royalties of her book being published, which must've been bizarre for her. And then she lives out as a beautiful rancher in New Zealand for the rest of her days. And because yeah. one of the first ranchers to um, herd her flock with a helicopter. I love that about her. So I don't think that she at the end was punishing herself and living in isolation. I think to me, it seems like she kind of made peace with everything. Oh yeah, time. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with you. But the initial decision was, I mm-hmm. don't fit. I don't fit. And she, yeah. and the Eddie thing, I think really um, weighed heavily on her, which to me, somebody who's so headstrong and so determined at that point, I was like, is that believable? Like, I would have, I, I think, I think that I would have come out and been like, Hey, can we send a rescue ship back there? Cause no, uh, <laughs> no. See, for me, for me, Eddie was like the last straw. Yeah. Eddie was the last straw. Janie's dead. Wallace is the uncle. Wallace is gone. Ruth's Ruth, gone. Ruth, Ruth's gone. Everybody's gone. And but Caleb like, isn't. Caleb and Marion are not a will they, won't they kind of thing in the classical sense. Like mm-hmm. even I referenced little women earlier. It's not even, it's not even a a, a Joe and Lori situation. No. Um, he even says he even says um, at one point when he meets her in England, he's like, "Oh, I didn't end up marrying that girl." And her, she says, uh, she thinks her relief is a uh, is not as severe as she expected it to be. So you, you know, like she's not even thinking of Caleb in that way a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And so for me, like in her, for her, for in her mind, like Caleb at that point, he's 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 always been. Uh, he always uh, circles back. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so for her, she's kind of like, okay with whatever, whenever the last time they've always spoken is she's always okay with that. If that's going to be the last, the time that they've spoken. So Which, for, what is it? What kind of characters that make her, you know, it's kind of interesting. No, I think that makes her, that makes her interesting as a person. Mm-hmm. And that makes Caleb more intriguing and as an enigma for me that eddie's the last straw in a series of losses and and she's like i'm done i don't fit um i'm gonna be like caleb in a way she's like i'm gonna be like caleb right Mm because caleb just goes off and does whatever he wants whenever whenever he wants to do it he's like i I don't really you know i mean like in a way uh she has to you know meet caleb at where he's at in mm-hmm. a sense, in terms of his personality. And, and uh, so that's how they end up living their life parallel with each other. Uh, I wouldn't say together, obviously, but they're, they're, they're parallel with one another, wherein he is the great love of her life, right? Yeah. Um, and she is. Rom- yes, of course. Romantic swoon. Yeah. So for me, her, her that final twist of her is, is Eddie is just the last straw in a series of, of traumas. Uh, question. Yes. Caleb definitely killed Barclay, right? Oh, uh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I know how it's, I know it's left up to us, quote unquote, but. Mm -hmm. um, Nobody could have made that shot except Caleb. Yeah, no, no, no. And I I love how it's kind of less, but I just want to confirm. 
Yeah, no, that's a great, yeah, okay, that's a great right. point to bring up. And I still love Caleb despite despite that, even probably more. I love Caleb more because he did. Yeah, no, no, Barclay had to go. Had to go. Had to go. He was um, gonna come after. What crazy, crazy man. Crazy. Yeah, let's not talk about it. so let, let's just let's just leave that. Yeah, Barclay doesn't that. even deserve to be talked about. Caleb, though, I mean he's an interesting character. Um, I find it interesting how he has to deal with the war too, where do you recall that he never got injured and he just kept going to all the major battles and through all of that craziness? And he was like, I didn't even get trench foot. He was like, I just was untouchable despite towards the end, trying even not to be, I was being careless and nothing happened. And people would come up and place their hand on him for luck and then just be blown up right next to him. And, you know, he kind of had that burden for the rest of life. So he was changed, you know, too, um, towards the end of of the book and he goes off to live in hawaii live in the dream yeah 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 <laughs> i mean caleb to me is an interesting character too because of course he's another out he's another outcast mm-hmm. right another outlier um mm-hmm. in terms of you know white patriarchal society i'm gl- kind of glad that maggie shifstead doesn't go for necessarily she doesn't go after the whole race relations thing it's mentioned you know, she it's makes mentioned. certain that everyone understands it's there. You know, she's not avoiding the, the, the it. First, the first black female pilot and all the, yeah, the, that's all mentioned in the history, the historical parts of, of the book mm-hmm. that kind of, when she does like these, she goes off in these tangents of what's going on historically during the time that the story is being told. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't necessarily have characters that speak towards those particular no. um, experiences, except when it comes to Caleb, right? Exactly. Uh, he's, he's the only one, he's the only necessarily major uh, and as I, as far as I can recall, a uh, character of color um, in the book, and only half that at that, if yeah. I remember, if I recall, if I recall correctly. Yeah. So uh, he, again, you can, in terms of symbolism, you can see he's he's, he's sort of symbolic of, of people who have been shoved aside, right? Just like women. For me, the, again, of course, him and Marion are supposed to be, symbolically supposed to be together. And again, that that really works in the book. He he really works. The three of them, those three main characters, really work for me. Me too. Um, in this okay. whole text, so okay. it's it, he serves a huge. It's he's very. Uh, it's he serves a huge purpose as, as everything in this book. But he's very organic in this book. Uh, as is Jamie. As is Marion. And as is Ruth too. I love Ruth. We didn't talk too much about I'm Ruth. Um, but the Ruth really is a great Ruth Bloom. Ruth Bloom, uh, kind um, of an appropriate name. <laughs> very appropriate name. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, again, you know, we're going big, we're going grand. We know uh, Ruth Bloom. Okay, here we go. Like, here's the name. Oh boy, you know, mm-hmm. like there's the symbolism. Mm-hmm. Here we go. So, yeah. a- another character that's that feels lived in that feels. You know, it's, again, not not too much. De- again, not a lot of. I can't. I don't want to say not a lot of detail, but not a lot of um, n- not a lot of characterization. Like you know, grab words like brown eyes and you know this kind of thing and that kind of thing. Like Caleb's described, Jamie's described, Marion's described. Just thick, long braid, right? Our um, Jamie. Yeah, they're all. But while this wasn't, right, so I think outside, there's a good point. I mean, here's a good realization, right, where we've got our three main people who we know inside and out who are described in detail, and then everybody else, which, I mean, even Eddie, like, we can, 
our minds have filled in the blanks because we're creative individuals and we've read a lot and we can, you know, we don't need all those details to form what these people, we what we think these people might look like or appear like. But I think it's very basic outline for Eddie and Ruth and even Wallace and Addison and Annabelle. And, you know, it's just, um, it's not as detailed, but I don't think that they're supposed to necessarily be a focus, right? I think they're supposed to just be there again as plot devices, threads, connections, um, foils, different, different symbols for different points of yeah. Marion's life, different, mm-hmm. different aspects of where she's trying to fit. Mm-hmm. Um, Agreed. But Ruth is a great character. I, I don't I don't fault Ruth at all. She's fun and lively and bright and you know all the things that she That you was a character I, I, as soon as she showed up and as soon as she became something to me. You know, they were doing the Morse code on the on the mm-hmm. walls, tapping on the walls. And as soon as that was happening, I was like, here we go. And I was and and quickly following upon that, I was like, Oh, this girl dead. Oh yeah. I knew, yeah. Ruth is gone. Well, and then as soon as we know that her husband's Eddie, Eddie was mentioned in the beginning of the book as going as the navigator for Marion. So I knew something had had to happen there that Eddie was going on this really long flight around the world with Marion, you know? Right. And again, it's, again, there's a, there's a, I, I do appreciate this. It's a purposeful disorientation that Maggie ships that creates because you're kind of going back and forth between what is it? 2014 or whatever it was. And, mm-hmm. and back then you're going from, and then Eddie gets shot down over mm-hmm. Germany or whatever. And he's a POW for a little while. And you're like, Oh my God. I was like, so is this the same Eddie? Like what's going on here? Like, what, I don't know what's, you know, what's, and so mm-hmm. there's this, almost this purpose, again, this per, almost purposeful disorientation. It is. And, and even if you look at the um, beginning of the chapter, it will tell you, okay, well, two years ago or three months after this, and there's a point in the book during the war where it becomes really confusing. She'll be like, okay, well, four months before this, and then three months and two weeks after, and it becomes really bizarre timelines. And I think that was on purpose because it's wartime and wartime there's chaos. And I, I think it was not only to show that, but it's also to con- kind of confuse us and make us kind of lose track of who's where and what's happening. Well, I think that's also serves the purpose of making Jamie's death. So mm-hmm. sudden and yeah. seem, seemingly out of nowhere where, and then in retrospect, I was kick, I was almost kicking myself. I'm like, obviously you idiot, like he's yeah. going to die. But the, the fact of it, that it hadn't occurred to me that he could, mm. even though he's in the middle of this war, you know, speaks again, it's, it's that kind of almost this, this frenetic pacing. This sort of, uh, you know, three months after Jamie sailed past uh, past the Golden Gate, you know, from San Francisco, you know, even like, and uh, and then three, five months after, three weeks before Mm -hmm. that, and then, and then you're like, then, then that happens, and you're like, Um, wait, where are we in the timeline? It's like, what's going? I I couldn't believe it. There are moments like that where her directness as a writer, and so we we kind of knocked this before and we kind of nitpicked at it before but like that that moment there's there are other moments but for me the, for me the standout moment is when she is when she writes his death and that one pair like for you is that one paragraph is you're like that's it and for me it's that that is very poetic in its directness i i do like i do appreciate it for its artsiness do i appreciate it as like the emotional reader who was attached to this character probably not like i didn't i don't even know if i cried it's almost like yeah. i didn't have time to like process or cry that Jamie died. And here's the thing, you know, we're, we're talking about this grand view of, of siblings, right. Which is 
another theme that runs through this book, right? Like we see siblings as children who are really connected and as they build and develop and grow into adulthood and get those growing pains, you kind of untangle yourselves to become your own entities in this world and then go through life all while having a thread to one another and being connected, but being different beings and and watching that growing pain between that all the more significant because of their, their twins it is, is crazy. And then I, I see that the sibling dies and like, then you can't help but think like one of us one day is going to lose the other person and it's going to suck. <laughs> I hate when siblings die in books. I can't handle it because I don't want to think about that. Um, but then it was just given in such a, again, very artsy poetic way. And you had to write it that way. Cause I wouldn't have wanted to just read about Jamie waking up and there was a loud explosion in his ears and all of a sudden he was in the water and like not know why. I actually kind of appreciate that we know why, right? Because she talks about the Japanese ship and they were marking the destroyer and rather than getting the destroyer, the two torpedoes hit Jamie's ship. And like, so we know the why we're not left to guess. So I, I, I do appreciate that, but I just, um, like I said, I don't even think I cried um, after losing him, which he was a nice character and I, I enjoyed Jamie. And so it was a sad loss. Yeah. But there's other moments. I was just speaking to the, like, we, we had nitpicked the directness of the prose and yeah. how it wasn't, it's not flashy, but no. at, at points that works to her advantage. If it was flashy, mm-hmm. you know, obviously it would make those first hundred pages a little bit easier to fall into mm-hmm. the way that other book I discussed, the love songs of W.E.B. Dubois makes mm-hmm. you fall. You immediately are in. But for me, the, the directness of the prose here leads to some very heavy emotional moments where it's just like things are said in a sentence or a paragraph and you're mm-hmm. just kind of left a little bit like that, like the sentence where Eddie was waving and we don't know if he's waving goodbye or if he's waving for her to come back. Like just very interesting little moments where all mm-hmm. of a sudden, like there's just this, this iceberg to, mm-hmm. to use Hemingway's thing. She's very icebergy a little bit in that way. So we could knock the, the the directness and dryness of the prose a little bit if we want to. But at the end of the day, we're talking about this story. We're involved in this story so much because A, she's giving us so much information. There's so much plot. We need mm-hmm. to talk about the 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 widow of the, the shipyard oh God, yeah. you know, the, the, that comes back around. There's another circle um, that comes or- back around our armor and when you wear makeup and how you present yourself to the world and how that ties in throughout the whole book and grizzly sitting in water. And oh, so, yeah, I mean, there's so much, so much. So there's, 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 there's lots of stuff galore going on in this book. And that was the thing that, again, impressed me the most. This is an author that is going for it. This is an author that is reaching for the stars and mainly succeeding. You know, uh, I, I use the old Roger Ebert rating, out of four stars, I, I'd still give it four out of four stars. I don't find that the Hadley sections that detracting enough because they are necessary. I mm-hmm. wish, and was. and I also don't want to say that there was no poetic because I have to say the last paragraph of the book is beautiful and very poetic. Even in Jamie's death, I think there was some po- poetry there. There was also a part in the beginning when they're talking about how Marion decides to become a pilot and get into all this. You know, the plane passes over her. It's a close call. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's at an age where, and I'm probably going to quote this wrong unless I grab the book, um, which I'm trying not to, but an age where the adult on the inside is 
rattling your bones or something like that. It was just very beautiful, like like a bird does on a cage. And I just, I really liked that description of like getting into adulthood. She's growing, right, she's right. becoming a woman and, you know, her bones are showing that, but so is her soul and her personality and her wants and desires. And that's the thing. <laughs> the, the directness and the, and the quote unquote dryness of the prose can give way to these heavily emotional moments. You might not have cried but, at Jamie's death, but oh my God. You did. Yeah, I, Oh my God, I needed 10 minutes and I come out of the bathroom. <laughs> my wife is like, what happened? And it's just like, his character. <laughs> She's like, you're going to be all right. She's like, Here's <laughs> you're like, I don't know if I am. I don't know. See, I cried at the end. Did you cry at the end? I was a little bit choked up at the end, but at that point, I, I, I have not been so devastated by a character's death probably since, I mean, what, one of Toni Morrison's novels, but Probably since the end of the road, I'd say, yeah, this is in my top five. Like I'm, I'm completely lost. And, it. Like, I'm sorry, but like, hold up. You didn't cry in all the light. We cannot see. No, didn't cry at all. The light we cannot see. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's another, that's a whole nother pod. You can talk about, I don't know. I, I have to do that one because that's the reason that I went to like that book club and I didn't join it is because nobody wanted to talk about it. And I was appalled. <laughs> uh, Yeah. Because I, I, I'd like to talk about it, but I do it, and I have some nitpicks as well on that book as well that you're not. Yeah, maybe I'll have to have you back on, and we'll talk yeah. about it. You can make this an annual maybe, thing. Maybe my podcast will just turn into you and I chatting about books. I mean, that there's worse things out there. <laughs> there are. There are. Joe, Rog- Joe Rogan's one of them. Uh, <laughs> Joe Rogan's one of them. We're coming for you, Joe. We're coming. Over you, Joe. The Sip Squad is coming. Squad is coming for you, Joe. You better watch out. <laughs> Get your vaccination. Get vaccinated. You and Aaron um, Rodgers. God help us. What is Jalen Woodley doing? Okay, never mind. So, <laughs> okay, let's can we end really quick on like, okay, what's your favorite takeaway or your what was your biggest takeaway or favorite thing that happened in this in this book? My biggest takeaway or favorite thing that happened? Mm-hmm. Again, just to to see this author set all these plates spinning mm-hmm. i keep going back to that metaphor but to just to see this person may mostly succeed at writing this enormous monster of a book for me this this is a monolith of uh, exactly the time period that we're going through and mm-hmm. you know that we that we have gone through over the past four years four or five years ongoing mm-hmm. so this is really a book for our time yes and so i was really even though it's set across you know a span of 150 years or whatever it is so for me i was just it's a model it's huge it's heavy it's it's enormous it's got weight to it it's readable mm-hmm. um, but you have to but you still have to work for it which of course mm-hmm. is a love which is as a lover of literature i i adore because mm-hmm. nothing should be e- given easily in my mm-hmm. critical opinion it's just this uh, here's here's this achievement Mm-hmm. And you go, yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty darn good job, Maggie Shipstead. Really good. Really yeah. good. I mean, what was yours? My favorite thing that happened or my biggest takeaway, we're going to get like a little dark, I guess, and sentimental, but as a nurse, I've, um, I am close friends with death, I guess I should say to be dramatic. Um, but it's also been like the biggest mystery for me. And, you know, I like to figure everything out. I don't really like mysteries. So I had to really think about death and and come face to face with it a lot when I was younger and and come to peace with it. And I think that this book kind of 
also talks about that topic a lot. It really makes it where you have to value the present. You have to tell people that you love them in your life when you have the time, because we all run out of time at some point. Um, I love you. I love you. And, and coming to peace with the fact that you're living your life and nobody will ever know everything you've done or everything about you. Cause it's just not possible. Just the beauty, the beauty that that brings as well. So that's why I think the last paragraph for me, like really just was like, okay, this is a book that I absolutely love. And, um, <laughs> and I, I get all of the symbolism in it, but it's more than that too. It's really talking about your life and what you make of it and overcoming all those challenges that really made it such a beautiful story. I think for me at the end. So that's what I loved about it. Sweet. Sweet. Well, I know we've got to go and get our babies. <laughs> yep. So um, thank you for being on my podcast. I hope to have you back on it. This could be a mess. This could be an absolute mess that only you and I understand, but I, I have good feelings about it. So I appreciate you and thank you for all your fabulous insight. And thank you for having me. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon, sis. Phew. What a conversation. It was so fun having my brother on to discuss this amazing book by Maggie Shipstead. We discussed some pretty heavy topics. As always, I've chosen several charities to post on my website and in the show notes that help to combat some of these issues. These charities include RAIN, The Trevor Project, HRC Foundation, PTSD Foundation of America, and ASPCA. Next month's book is going to cover another Kristen Hanna novel, The Nightingale. Release date for that is going to be Tuesday, February 22nd. If you'd like to continue supporting this podcast, please subscribe and share. Thank you all for tuning in. And for now, later mamas. Mm-hmm.